Hi, this is Jordan Shively. Hi, this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Carrying Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or kind of dark story we've heard, and try to find the silver lining or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will maybe at least be productive. How are you doing today, Brock? I am just as good as you are. Yeah. Uh, we're going out into the internet again today. Fun times. <laughs> how, how are you? How would you like to describe your current situation? Ready to make a podcast and think about making a podcast. <laughs> I love podcasts. Let's focus on this. Podcasts are the only thing that exists in the world. Podcasts <laughs> is all. Podcasts will fix me. <laughs> so oh my God. today I'm going to talk, tell you what some things I've read about Wendigos. Yay! Um, yeah, Wendigos are fun, and I'm definitely going to hit this topic again in the future because I am just nipping the small corner of the crazy stories that are told about Wendigos. And, um, oh, I'm sorry, not crazy, the strange and weird stories that are told about Wendigos, um, both in media and just legend and folklore. But so I'm going to hit just a little bit of what I've read um, online about wendigos basically and then tell you about a weird story that i heard so starting this story today i'm going to caveat that once again this has a lot of names and places and terminology that are first nation or other things i don't know how to pronounce correctly so i'm going to try my best and if i mispronounce things i am sorry um in algonquin folklore the wendigo or wendigo is a mythical man-eating creature or evil spirit native to the northern forests of the Atlantic coast in the great regions of Canada. And I just read this. I don't know where this is. Aragabad. Like, it sounds like, you know, maybe somewhere in mid, mid in like Middle Earth. But um, the Wendigo can appear as a monster with some of the characteristics of a human or the spirit who has been possessed of a human being and then has become monstrous. Normally, it's been associated with things like murder and greed and um, a lot of like people saying that when someone uh, brings in a cultural taboo, that then they start accepting this Wendigo spirit. Huh. The terminology has also been used in a medical term for Wendigo psychosis, um, which seems like a weird co-opting of a cultural thing into a terminology that makes it only bad. Um, but it's like supposedly if you have symptoms of intense craving for human flesh or the fear of becoming a cannibal, that you are said you have a Wendigo psychosis. Um, and the reason that seems like it's probably not the best thing to do is because there are other cultures where like the where like the Athabascan people in the nor Northwest Pacific Coast have a version of the Wendigo they call Washuge, where it's not really so much a crazed or evil spirit as it's cannibalistic, but it's you're filled with enlightenment and ancestral insights. What? So it's a can it's a can it's a cannibalistic creature that is tying into the idea that by consuming the flesh of people or by consuming others, you gain the wisdom and the insights of them. So possibly, and there wasn't a lot of information on this, but it seems like they're saying that this is a creature that that holds the insights of the ancestors through the consumption of them. Which is kind of an interesting, comforting idea that when you die, 
there'll be something roaming the night that remembers you. Oh. So there's a description of a Wendigo. This is a direct um, quote from Basil Johnston, who is an Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario. And this is a description he gives for the Wendigo. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from the separations of the flesh. Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. So yeah, that guy knows how to write some descriptions. <laughs> so in the Ojibwe, Eastern Cree, um, in Inu Naskapi lore, Wendigos were often described as giants that were many times larger than humans, a characteristic which is absent from the myths of Algonquin culture. Whenever a Wendigo ate another person, it would grow in proportion to the meal it had just eaten, so it could never be full. So anytime it eat like a person, it would grow to that size, but then its stomach would be even bigger, and like the hunger would grow with its selfishness or its like cravings. Oh, therefore, w- Wendigos are portrayed as simultaneously gluttonous and extremely thin due to starvation. Um, Wendigo is seen as the embodiment of gluttony, greed, and excess. Never satisfied after killing and consuming one person, they're always looking for a new victim. And it also it's it stands to note that many of these cultures also see like the destruction of nature and the poisoning of and getting rid of traditions as the Wendigo spirit trying to poison the community. That it's like a a, a, a force of chaos and destruction that just happens to sometime use people as a vessel, but also is trying to work its way through society. It's a cultural disease? Kind of, like a cultural okay. living creature, a cultural spirit that wants to destroy the culture. That was kind of like the background of it. And there are a plethora of stories in both popular media and legend and folklore. One story in particular drew my attention. It occurred in the spring of 1879, in the vicinity of the Catholic mission of St. Albert in the western portion of Canada. There was a young man, a trapper named George Cooper, who had a camp to the north of town. He would come to town every few months and sell his services as guide to those traveling north through the thick mountainous forest lands. Usually the groups he was guiding were going to settle homesteads, so there was nothing unusual with their never being seen again in town. Who knows how long this would have gone on if not for had been for the Coronado party. They hired Cooper like every other of his charges and left town with the early morning light peeking through the clouds of a gray winter morning. The story goes that two mornings into the trip, the Coronado group woke up and Cooper was gone. All of his belongings were still there and strangely enough, his clothing that he had been wearing was on the ground next to his bedroll. At first, the members of the Coronado group were not alarmed, thinking that Cooper had merely risen early to scout ahead and would be returning any minute. As the sun rose high into the sky, though, without the guide having returned, the group began to worry. They argued among themselves about what to do and finally decided to head back to the town in defeat. However, they had wasted half the day waiting for Cooper to return, 
So as they traveled back the path they had just worked so hard to traverse, it wasn't until they were resting and the night was falling that one of them suddenly stood up and pointed to the, off the trail and shouted that they had seen Cooper. He was standing in the shadows off the path. He seemed to be covered in filth or blood or something, but they couldn't see correctly. He just was smeared or something. He called to them saying that he had found a cave he wanted to show them and that they should follow him. At this point, it doesn't really say who knows if it was just annoyance at his dereliction to duty or if something of the eerie nature of this settled into the Coronado party's bones, but they refused to follow him. Like, I mean, this goes along the lines of if someone says a, a doll is talking and it has a knife, burn it right away. If your guide shows up in the shadows telling you to follow him to a special cave he's found, I think <laughs> that should just be a big nope always. Like, that should be, like, in the guidebook. Nope to naked guide covered in bloody filth telling you, follow me into the woods. So they, like, they're like, uh, fuck you. Uh, we're, we're getting out of here. So they press back down the trail to the town. They say that he followed along the path, at times pleading and threatening them to try to get them to follow him into the forest, to the cave he had found. But any time they would try to approach him, he would back into the shadows, backing off the path so that if they wanted to follow him, they would have led, he would have led them into the forest. Eventually, as they came into sight of town, he slinked off and didn't follow them any further. After telling their story to the people in town, a search party went out, but they never found Cooper. And that seemed to be the inconclusive end to a very strange moment in the history of the settlement of northern Canada. However, there is one more thing. A good 47 years later, the surrounding land was being cleared, and they found a small cabin. More of a shack, really, built over the side of a hill inside of which was a cave. And inside that cave, stacked like cords of wood set for the coming winter, were piles of bones. Hundreds of bones. Most of them, but not all human. And some of them were said to be quite fresh. So that's the story of the maybe Wendigo Cooper. <laughs> Of course, his name was Cooper. Everyone that's ever been a guide on an expedition that has gone insane has been named Cooper. They have to yell out Coop into the woods. <laughs> and so many of these stories, you know, they're folklore and they're told and who knows if they're just part of adding to the story. But I think the idea of there being a hungry, destructive force that tries to make people destroy their own societies is pretty damning, you know. I welcome it now. <laughs> so all this leads me to this point. You are a being made of hunger. You roam through the forests of your own mind, stalking your past from the shadows. Your claws and teeth are things of terrible beauty. You have grown them through the long, cold years, cradling the corpses of experiences past in your long arms until you knew the path you needed to walk to become the thing you have always dreamed of. And now your hunt has borne its dark fruit. You can feel the fear on the wind. You can taste the approaching moment and it thrills you. You will rise from your hiding place 
and fall upon the memories of all that sought to keep you small, all the experiences that bound you into a form, a path that you hate it, and opening your beautiful maw, you will tear them to shreds. You will take great gulping mouthfuls of them as they thrash against the inevitability of what you have become. And then, as you swallow, all that would have held you back, go forward in the knowledge that all of that is even now transforming itself into your new flesh, your new blood, your new self. And all that used to hold you back is now nothing more than the husk you've left behind as you step into this new and wonderful transformation. I liked that so much. <laughs> I, I, did not, I did not know. I've always just thought the Wendigo uh, was just more um, Bigfoot stuff. And I did not know that it, it's uh, it's socialism, it turns out. Uh, it is the threat of socialism coming to destroy society. And the next time I talk about it, I want to talk about there's a whole section of it of people who culturally their job is to guard against the Wendigo. Oh my God. Yes. And so oh my God, <laughs> I may even do that just as a follow-up episode next, you know, just like two-parter on the Wendigo and the, those who its job is to watch for it. I request that immediately. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, cool. What's your story today? Uh, so, uh, oh. so I've always had uh sort of, it's not, it's not body horror, but I've always had a, a tough time with autonomy uh, or the uh, anatomy. Not sorry. Uh, because like in grade school, uh, we did the test of like, name where the bones are. And I can't remember where any bone or muscle is to this day. I still like, is this the shoulder that I'm pointing to? Like, I don't, the body itself doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but what does is that, um, I think that this might be just a, a weird thing that I have from being like a six, seven dude, but like, I'm always freaked out by the fact that I can feel so many things at the same time. Uh, like, I'm like, oh, I can feel this thing in my toe, but also this thing in my finger. And um, I, I feel like I often have some sort of like physical information overload from that. Uh, and that has changed over because about a year ago, I got a diagnosis that I might have starting of, uh, adult onset diabetes, uh, from, uh, spending a year as a political reporter where I didn't really stand up all day, every day. Uh, fuck you, Trump. Um, so, uh, the, the, the fear has now twisted from before where I was sort of like always uncomfortable with how much of my body I could feel. So now this sense that especially like in a Midwest frozen winter when I'm out all day, like, Oh, if I can't feel like some parts of my body or they're too tingly or something, I get really nervous about that. So, um, this one was one that my wife sent to me thinking it was going to be funny. Uh, and it was not cause I got real upset real fast. Um, there is a condition called auto amputation and uh, auto amputation uh, was first reported in 1867 in Brazil. Uh, the condition today is called adactylosis uh, spontanea uh, spontaneous. Uh, and so what happens is that like tough little circles of tissue form around the base of your pinky toe. And usually uh, the band forms on both pinky toes because uh, the horror should be symmetrical uh, and eventually the band gets smaller and tighter and the toe swells up. And then the toe, uh, there's nothing you can really do about it as the band gets narrower and tighter and it breaks the bones of the toe as it constricts, eventually just sort of hanging by this tiny bit of tissue and bone. 
and then one morning it just disconnects and your your toes fall off. Uh, and I do this, not like this at all. I do not like this either. And it is a thing that has been reported as, you know, it doesn't just stop there. And sometimes it keeps extending and fingers and toes are all part of this and there's no treatment for it. And uh, and also it doesn't just happen like over a weekend, like this process takes years and there is nothing to stop it. So the whole time you're just like, well, my my toes are self amputating. Can somebody do anything about it? And they're like, we can cut it off to make it less weird for you, but there's nothing we can do to stop this slow uh, auto uh, disconnect of pieces of your body that are just, and and maybe it's the emotional side of me that's like, do my toes not like me? Would they flee me? What would happen? Like, do they just not want to talk anymore? So uh, auto amputation and uh, how far does that extend? I I do not know uh, because has the it cases, ever happened to like your neck? You know, like that was my thought too. But I can't like. There's no great documentation on it. It's just sort of a thing that like it'll happen to somebody like once a year, and some weird news site will post about like, can you believe this man's fingers fell off? And you're like, I can Perfect. now. It seems like a doctor somewhere should take a look at that because it seems like a witch's curse. Uh, I mean, it's always <laughs> good to have a new thing to add to the master list of anxiety. You know. It is what I picture in my head now when my feet are too cold from being in the snow. And I have to remind myself, I was in the snow. My feet are not starting the process of auto-amputation. No, obviously it's auto-amputation. <laughs> Damn it, Jordan. <laughs> uh, so this is my carrying into the void for it. Who would have guessed how many functional parts would comprise your machine? It still seems amazing when you take a step back and look. This piece and that piece. How do they even work? What connects them and what keeps them aligned? How impossible is it that each individual connection still feels alive and real, that information flows in the blood and each cell educates you and drives you just as much as you drive the entire vehicle? Well, everything breaks down. Sometimes maintenance isn't enough. Under the cells and the thin walls and under the shadows of the internal, under the secrets of ancient electronic filler, Everything breaks down. Some parts of your physical promise can choose their own path, a disconnect, an escape. You can evolve. You may be better without them. You may be free and lesser, but more of yourself. Count the digits and count down if needed, but know that no individual parts are the whole. You're the entire thing and discard at will. You will become aerodynamic, a different system of delivery, a fearsome promise, a bright future from an unexpected shadow. A kiss of lifeblood by means of the farewell. A different, newer version of an unexpected shape of things to come. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what content warning to give this one. Just random, sad, physical maladies. <laughs> Goodbye, toes. Goodbye, toes. Well, that's the name of the, of the segment now. Ah, oh, so do you have anything you want to signal boost this week? Uh, I would like to uh, signal boost uh, the work of Jordan Shively. Uh, oh, he is a publisher pshaw. and he has a Patreon and uh, is a good ass human being who is always being a good ass person in every way. And I, uh, I uh, hope that people uh, take some time to support him. It is the best way to support our show uh, and, uh, and a guy that is on the rise doing really good work for a lot of different people. Uh, so that's my signal boost. <laughs> That is not what we're supposed to do in Signal Boost. <laughs> well, you can um, be mad at me about it later. That's what I wanted to do today. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to Signal Boost a, sh a podcast that I've loved called The Magnus Archives. 
And the Magnus Archives is part of the larger Rusty Quill um, podcast group. And that's the easiest way to find them is usually Rusty Quill. But it's the Magnus Archives. It's written by Johnny Sims. And it is a delightful horror podcast that has a meta plot that kicks off after the first couple episodes. And it is some of the best writing I've ever read or listened to. So I highly recommend the Magnus Archives. I've been meaning to start that one. I guess it's time. Uh, Okay. And I think they they have a plotted out five season arc. So, you know, like when they started it, they knew where it was going for five seasons and it's going to end. So it's always good to know that like the writing is going somewhere. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, So I'm Brock Wilbur at Brock Wilbur on Twitter. Come find me, support my podcast and stuff. Jordan, where can people find you and support your work? I write weird things at, Dread Singles, which is at Hottest Singles on Twitter. You can find more about me at jordanshively.com. And yeah, that was another episode. We look forward to seeing everyone next week or whenever we get the next episode out. And remember, until then, keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. Goodbye. Thank you guys for listening. See ya.